You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. The Bowery Boys, episode 56. Randall's Island and the Olympic Games. Hey, it's the Bowery Boys. Hey. The Bowery Boys is brought to you by Eurocheapo.com. Eurocheapo editors personally visit and review the best budget hotels in Europe. Now with hotels in New York City. On the web at Eurocheapo.com. Hola, welcome to the Bowery Boys. Uh, My name is Greg Young. Tom is away this week. Today I'm giving you a tale of two islands that are floating out there in the East River right now. Randall's Island and Ward's Island. And in specific, the story of one particular event that occurred there on one of these islands in 1936. Back in 2004 and 2005, you may recall the best efforts of New York City in trying to win the bid for the 2012 Summer Olympic Games. There was all this talk of massive building projects, including this mythical West Side Stadium, which would not only have been the centerpiece of the Olympic Games, but would have continued to serve as the midtown home for the football team, the New York Jets. The city's ability to get the Olympic Games was contingent, of course, on this stadium, and so it was a kind of a tragic day for Michael Bloomberg when the state rejected the $300 million price tag that they would have to contribute to get it built. So on July 6, 2005, the 2012 Olympics were given to London. But anybody looking for a link between New York and the Summer Olympics, any Summer Olympics, needn't have spent more than just a couple dollars on a subway fare, for it was on Randall's Island, the jock of the New York Islands, if you will, that one of the most important Olympic trials was held, the track and field trials of 1936. Now, if you play any sports in the city, or you're a fan of live music, you've most likely been to Randall's Island at some point. Randall's was located in the East River at around 125th Street, East Harlem, if you were coming at it from the Manhattan side. Up until the late 1930s, Randall sat next to its slightly larger sister island, Ward's Island, to the south, separated by a little waterway that was lovingly known as Little Hellgate. I say up until the 1930s, not because one of the islands up and moved somewhere, but because it was then, or slowly, in a marriage that only somebody like Robert Moses could devise, the two islands were slowly conjoined together with landfill. Before we get to Randall's in the year 1936, I need to give you a quick little parallel prehistory of both these little islands, as the people who inhabited Manhattan have used these two patches of land for some 
really unique, occasionally macabre purposes. I have to say that New Yorkers do the nuttiest things with their islands. On the Rikers Island podcast from a couple months ago, which is an island also in the East River, you learned it was once a place of burning garbage and illegal boxing matches before becoming, of course, our beloved penal colony that we know today. Roosevelt Island, further south in the East River, held quarantine hospitals and insane asylums. Ward and Randall's Islands would have equally colorful and parallel histories. Now, I said that Randall's and Ward were held apart by a small strip of water called the Little Hellgate. In fact, these two islands sit next to the, I guess, not-so-little Hellgate, a narrow tidal strait that has been the demise of hundreds of sailing vessels forever since the Dutch first sailed into New York Harbor. In the 1850s, at least 1,000 ships were run aground on Ward Island or along the shoreline of Queens. It was so dangerous that in 1876, the army had to literally blow blow it up with explosives in order to make it navigable. It doesn't pose so much of a threat today, but it still gets to keep that ominous, rather cool name, Hellgate. So Randalls and Ward sat at that watery crossroads. Both islands were bought by the Dutch from the local Indians in 1637. Randalls was called Minahanok, while Ward's was called Tenkenis. They both naturally passed to the British after the Dutch were ran out of town. Menahanonk was taken over by the British adventurer and engineer John Montressor, who lived here from 1772 to 1783. Now, this Montressor was quite a swashbuckling guy. On a mission after the French and Indian War, he was caught in a blizzard and had to eat the leather from his own shoes and belts in order to stay alive. He built many of the forts in New York that would eventually be used against the American rebels during the Revolution. And just to make you hate him even more, he was also apparently present at the execution of Nathan Hale, who was accused and hung for being a spy. Later that year, in 1776, American rebels attempted to take Montressor's Island, which, on top of having an elegant home, also held a cache of ammunitions. But the soldiers were crushed when an American soldier accidentally fired his own gun, giving away their position. Many years later, John Montressor was thrown out with the rest of the British in November of 1783. Now, I don't care much for John Montressor, I have to tell you, but I really like the name Montressor Island, but we don't stick with that very long. The next year, the island was sold to a farmer named Jonathan Randall for the staggering sum of $24. Randall naturally gives the island the name today, but I should add, however, that I've seen his name spelled at least three different ways in different history sources, with the most popular being R-A-N-D-E-L, which is not the way we spell Randall's Island today, which is more like Tony Randall, like Odd Couple's Tony Randall. However you spell it, the Randall family kept the island for several years until 1835, when it was bought by the city for $60,000. Now, river islands are popular places for the city to put things it doesn't necessarily want, things that are unpleasant. Randall's itself has literally been called, quote, a dumping ground for everything unwanted in New York City, unquote. So for the next 100 years, the city used Randall's for a wide variety of places, including a, quote, Idiot Asylum uh, from 1856 to 1888. We might need one of those today, I think. An inebriate asylum, a nursery's hospital, a rest home for Civil War veterans, and perhaps most famously in the island's history, it even became a 
House of Refuse, or House of Refuge, for juvenile delinquents. This was still open at the beginning of the 20th century, and it was pretty much as wretched as any other prison at the time, although they did refer to themselves as, quote, a formative and disciplinary institution, unquote. Randall's was also used for one more ominous purpose. Before I reveal it, I need to back up and tell you what's been going on with Ward's Island, or what the Indians called Tencanis. It, too, was a very valued property for the British, who at various times called it Buchanan's Island and the Great Barn Island. After the war, this island was bought by two brothers who would give the island its name, Bartholomew and Jasper Ward. Now, people often think the island is named after wards, as in wards of the state, but in fact, they were actual people named Ward. They were very industrious, and they opened a successful cotton mill on the island. More importantly, they actually constructed the very first bridge to the island from Manhattan. This bridge would encourage people to settle on wards and turn it into a potentially functioning community. It might have actually kept itself that way, but for a couple unfortunate incidents... The Ward brothers had to close their cotton mill after some financial failures due to the War of 1812. Then, nine years later, that extraordinary bridge they built was completely destroyed in a storm. So poor Ward's Island never really stood a chance by this point. The city would buy this island as well, and throughout the 19th century, it would be the home of a 1963 New York City Asylum for the Insane and the state Emigrant Refuse, which received sick immigrants as they sailed into New York Harbor. Eventually, from 1860 to 1892, it even became a processing center for non-sick immigrants. You may remember from our Battery Park podcast that Castle Garden was the primary immigrant station for New York in the 19th century in the days before Ellis Island. Ward's Island also kind of took up some of the slack, so to speak, took some of these immigrants as well, as there were so many coming in at a certain point that Castle Garden wasn't even able to handle them all. So these two extraordinary islands that are just sitting out there in the East River held so many purposes to 19th century New Yorkers, many purposes people wished not to kind of see themselves with human beings they preferred to sweep under the rug. But Randall's Island and Ward's Island didn't just handle the living ones. In the first half of the 19th century, Randall's became a potter's field for the poor and destitute, a cemetery for those who couldn't afford a lavish burial, and a place for the city who needed to dispose of some bodies. In 1852, however, administrators of Randall's Island, the smaller of the two islands, successfully petitioned to have the potter's field moved over to Ward's Island. But wait, Ward's didn't just become an island graveyard for the newly dead. Brand new parks were being built all over Manhattan, over places that were already cemeteries, places that include Madison Square Park and Bryant Park. Now, when they built Washington Square Park in Greenwich Village, well, they just built the park over the cemetery. But at Madison Square and Bryant Park, they exhumed the bodies and moved them all, that's right, towards Island, where presumably they still reside today. Ward was the city's only potter's field until 1870, when that morbid function was transferred to another island called Hearts Island, which, believe it or not, still serves as the city's cemetery today. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms, and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. 
See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. So I've got you caught up on the history of Randalls and Ward up to the 20th century. So to recap, bought from the Indians, British strongholds, sold to farmers who gave the islands their names. Then both islands became the homes of sick, old, or crazy adults and children, both living and dead. So let's speed ahead to the 1930s and to the man that would permanently change the fates of both of these islands. Of course, I'm talking about brand spanking new parks commissioner, Robert Moses. Randalls and Wards would actually figure into one of the very first great Moses projects, the construction of the Triborough Bridge. The Triborough is actually three bridges that connect the boroughs of Queens, Manhattan, and the Bronx together. This was actually a pre-Robert Moses project that had a bit of a misfortune for work being started on it on October 29th, 1929, which also happened to be the day of the catastrophic stock market crash of 1929. Moses, however, was able to get the project back off the ground using some of that FDR New Deal money. The Triborough Bridge would be completed in 1936. The bridge essentially uses Randall's and Ward's Islands as footstool hubs wrapping itself over and around and through the islands. Believe it or not, as president of the Triborough Bridge Authority, Moses kept an office for much of his time there on Randall's Island in a building still standing today and is known as the Robert Moses Administration Building. But Moses and the city weren't abandoning the islands to the life of shadowy overpasses, drear entrance and exit ramps. In fact, as early as 1930, the city had already decided to turn these islands into recreational parks with a focus on sporting events. To this end came the building that brings the Olympic Games finally into our story, the building of Downing Stadium. This 22,000-seat stadium was state-of-the-art for its day. Later on, it would be used by the New York Yankees, that would be the New York football Yankees, not our current baseball team. And it would also be home to the soccer team, the New York Cosmos, who most famously in 1975 would sign the world's most famous soccer player, Pele, who would of course play here at Downing Stadium. But in 1936, it would be host to the track and field Olympic trials. However, not everybody in the city was excited to see the event hosted here. In 1936, of course, the Olympic Games would be hosted in Berlin, Germany, and were being used as a sumptuous propaganda-laced spectacle by that country's leader, Adolf Hitler. Similar to this year's Olympic Games, there were huge debates about whether the United States should even be participating at all in these games. Believe it or not, in this case, most of the outcry was coming from right here in New York City. Although it might seem natural today that a city with a large Jewish population would be against an Olympics set in Berlin, in fact, it was many of the city's prominent Catholics who led the charge to boycott the Games. A massive rally was held on December 3rd, 1935, at this place in Midtown called the Mecca Temple, which is a meeting hall that today is the New York City Center Concert Hall. Now, leading the cry for boycott at this rally was no less than the mayor himself, Fiorella LaGuardia, alongside the man he had beat in the past election, Jeremy Titus Mahoney, who also just happened to be the president of the Amateur Athletes League. So, two very prominent voices. However, they were unable to convince the head of the United States Olympic Committee, Avery Brundage, and just a few days later at the old Hotel Commodore, which formerly was next door at the Grand Central Station on 42nd Street, Brundage announced that the U.S. would in fact compete in Berlin. The trials at Downing Stadium held on July 11th, 1936, would determine which men would be representing the United States in the most central events, track and field. 
Performing that day would be someone I think we've all heard of, Jesse Owens, an athlete from Ohio State who was a favorite to place in several events that day. So flash to July 11th, an extremely hot morning, the streets of Harlem filled with thousands of people, the President Franklin Delano Roosevelt being driven up from his midtown penthouse and escorted uptown. Robert Moses was there, as well as Mayor LaGuardia, Governor Lehman, and a host of other official types made their way to the ceremony. But they weren't heading to Downing Stadium. Nope. On the same morning of the Olympic trials, July 11th, the city officially opened the Triborough Bridge to traffic in a huge, ostentatious ceremony right over Randall's and Ward's Island and literally yards away from where the competition would be held. Among the many presentations that day was a young nine-year-old Queens boy who mounted the stage in front of all these important bigwigs and performed a little song. That boy, whose name was Anthony Benedetto, would grow up, change his name, and become Tony Bennett. After the ceremony, Roosevelt, Moses, and some of the others did head to the stadium for the qualifying rounds of the 100 meters. All in all, Owens would qualify for four separate events that day and the next day on his way to becoming the most important American athlete in Olympic history. Eventually, the team that was produced here at Downing Stadium and by the American delegation in general would display a racial and ethnic diversity that was clearly not Germany's cup of tea in 1936, although admittedly back then some folk in America weren't too thrilled about it either. Eventually forced with the choice of recognizing Owens and the other African-American members of the American team, Hitler declined to meet with any of the athletes. Owens went on to win four gold medals in one of the most legendary Olympic performances of all time, and right under the nose of Nazi Germany. And if you think I'm over-accentuating New York City's role in these very historic games, I'll just remind you that the name of the ocean liner that carried the team over across the Atlantic three days after the trial... The name of that ship was called the SS Manhattan. So back in the East River, Randalls and Ward's Island were slowly becoming one, like a microscopic organism. Decades of landfill from various construction projects slowly filled in the little hell gate, that waterway that once separated them, so that by the late 1950s, Randalls and Ward's, once owned by Jonathan Randall and Bartholomew and Jasper Ward, became one island. The ward side of the island today still serves up a rather eclectic mix of services, including a wastewater treatment plant, the first and only wastewater treatment plant in New York City to have a public park built on top of it, according to the website, not to mention the Kirby Forensic Psychiatric Center for the Criminally Insane. Most people probably know this area best for that curious little footbridge for people and bikes that was built in 1951 by none other than the king architect of New York City bridges, Othmar Ammon. Things were decidedly more entertaining over on the Randall side. Downing Stadium hosted sports events for decades before finally being transformed into a music venue, which hosted acts like U2, Pearl Jam, and Lollapalooza. It pretty much fell into a state of bad disrepair and was replaced in 2005 by a brand shiny new $42 million stadium called Icon Stadium, named for the Queen's native financier that gave them 10 million of that total, Carl Icon. The stadium features a top-notch Olympic quality track actually modeled after the one used in the 2004 Athens Olympic Games. So it's very, very likely that Randalls may produce a whole series of new Jesse Owens in the future. 
So that's my look at these two forgotten islands in the East River. I hope you learned a few facts that you didn't know before. Uh, thank you for sitting through it all on the website. I will have a few pictures relating to some of the things I've talked about. That website is BoweryBoysPodcast.com. Tom will be back next week. We've got a good one in store. So thank you very much for tuning in. Have a great New York week, whether you live here or not. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.